Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show and being here. If you like my theme music, that is by Ken Vandermark. The song is called Turn Your Head. It's from his album Utility Hitter, and that is copyrighted 21st Mobile Ass Cap. Today happens to be my 170th, and uh, not anniversary, <laughs> episode. I didn't uh, intend to do anything extra special, like have an extra special fancy guest for the show, but I ended up having one, and it is Mr. John Lurie, who I have I am a longtime fan of, who I think is fantastic, whether it be his music, his acting in films, his painting, and his various other endeavors in life. If you are unfamiliar with John Lurie, I am would be surprised, really, but especially if you're a listener of my podcast... He is in films like Stranger Than Paradise, Paris, Texas. He's a, He was in The Lounge Lizards, and Marvin Pontiac were music creations of his, which I love. And, of course, he's an incredible painter. And then, you know, there's some many other things he's done, and it's all incredible. He joins me today to talk about his new project, Painting with John, and working on a book that will be out in about a year. I'm flattered and honored he took the time out to do it. I'm glad it comes in with my 170th episode, so it uh, gives it a little extra hooray, 170 episodes with John Lurie. Um, If you're a first-time listener, I want to welcome you and thank you for taking the time out to listen to the podcast. I'm assuming you've heard about it and are here to hear John Lurie, and uh, we will get to that. If you're a long-time listener, I also welcome for you to be here. And if you people like my show, uh, there's 170 episodes. Go through my library. Check out the older episodes. I've interviewed some legendary writers, musicians like Wayne Kramer of the MC5, Boots Riley, director and musician, Jerry Stahl. I have a great history of episodes, so please go and listen. Uh, if you want to be more of part of the show... Uh, hear bonus episodes or commentary on each episode. You can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash Matt Dwyer. There's all kinds of stuff there. Go to the themattdwyer.com. That's a jumping off point to all my social media, merch, and et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to yammer too much because I'm really excited about this episode. I really enjoyed doing it, and I was like high afterwards. I was like, for like two hours, I felt like I was on some really sweet, fine, pure drugs because it was just great, and it was an honor to talk to Mr. John Lurie. So why don't we just get to that? Enjoy the episode. To talk about uh, painting with John, which I, I want to thank you very much for sharing with me. It's uh, I, didn't, I had no expectations. Uh, I know you're a brilliant man, but I was just... It's 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 mesmerizing. It just like sucked me in, and I I didn't want it to end. How did you? What sort of uh, brought this idea to fruition for you? Oh God, I don't know. You know, forever one of the people were saying, "Oh, you got to do painting with John," and it just seems such a corny idea because of fishing with John. You got to do painting with John, and then. And then we were down on the island and I had to come back to New York and um, I was doing this thing of mixing watercolor with India ink in a way that it was creating this effect and I knew because I wasn't going to finish this painting right then so Nesrin just filmed me with her phone uh, while I was doing it so I could, but then I started fooling around and talking to her and then watch back like this five minutes of me screwing around talking to the camera and then going back to painting and then I just thought well this can work and then there's this kid he's not even a kid he's 33 but I think of him as a kid and who had done Eric Mokas who had done at first I met him uh, on Twitter or Facebook or something like that and he wrote me you know 
uh, there's something I wanted to show you. And I just said, look, fuck you. I don't, you know, because I get like 20 people there. Oh, here, please listen to my music. Oh, I think you'll like this music. Or I want you to see this video. People you don't know sending you stuff. And I just, you don't want to deal with it. And I, and I was rude to him. And then I felt bad. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean to be rude. But it was just like the 20th person that day. And it was just like I lost my temper. And so I wrote back and apologized. And he said he had put together this, this one-hour loop of the Fishing with John theme song and the image, you know, the titles of Fishing with John, he put it together in an hour-long loop, which I thought was kind of a wonderful idea. And so then, you know, but I was really sorry because he had actually sent me something that was for me. It was like, not like, listen to my band or look at my paintings or, you know, I made this short movie I'd like you to act in. It was, it was you know, you get a lot of selfish people on social media, but it was like, it really was a gift. And so then... When the Marvin Pontiac Asylum tapes came out, he made uh, a video for I Don't Have a Cow. And I just thought, well, maybe I can actually do some kind of thing. If he, if he wants to come and live with me, because I got the Lyme disease and I've also got, you know, I'm, I'm a, the side effects from the cancer treatment lasted forever. Uh, and so I really didn't get that much time during the day where I was okay. So, so if he came and lived with me, we could shoot for an hour here, an hour, two hours there, if he's willing to be patient, and he was. And, um, and we were really on the same page. And just the two of us made this thing that would have cost a normal film company like $20, $20 million, you know, but just the two of us with Nesrin's help and, you know, like building the set. And, uh, and we, you know, got the backyard and the location's amazing. So, um, and it just all sort of fell together. And it was just like, I just, I just, and I don't know what it is. I mean, we've got at least three hours of footage that all work. So you saw, what, like 20 minutes of it or something. But I don't know if it's a movie or if it's 10 episodes or I don't know what it is. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm just sort of waiting for that to sort of happen rather than... Because the last thing I want to do in this life is deal with any more assholes. And I don't want to start approaching... I really, I really don't. And so I don't want to start approaching, you know... Netflix and Disney or even, you know, the people who I've dealt with in the past who would do, who would do that kind of thing for me. I mean, I just went through this thing with this guy. He's kind of well-known. I won't say his name, but, you know, well, call me at 3 o'clock Monday, and I say, and then when I didn't, it was like he punished me for, for not being able to call him. And, you know, I just, I don't want to deal with that anymore. So I'm just going to make this thing. And, you know, the, the kid, Eric, is, is, in, is in Montreal, and so we're not in the same place. So he works on it. We talk about it on the phone. He works on it and sends me a clip. And then, you know, we change things around, and we're just going like that. And we'll just see what it is, you know, after another month of doing this kind of thing. Yeah, because when I w watched just the 20 minutes of it, and then you sent me several other clips, like, and I don't say this in, like, a fan or ass-kissy way, but there's something, it's special. Like, it's a very unique and brilliant thing. And there's nothing, like, there's nothing like it. Yeah, but that also can be the problem. I mean, you know why the lounges couldn't get a record deal for the last 20 years we were together? Or it was because... Because they couldn't figure out what, how to, what to call it. So you talk to somebody from a record company and say, well, we don't know where we would put it in the store, so we're going to have to pass. I mean, so, and then this is the same thing. It's like you give it to whoever, and then it's like, well, is it a nature show? Is it, a, is it, a, is it educational? Is it humor? Uh, we don't know what it is, you know? So, it's, you know, you make something that's never been made before, and you really get hurt, you know? Is that... You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that... Has that been... I mean, I already got warned... I got warned about that from... Uh, that there's a couple of people who I, I would actually like to work with on this. I, I don't know who I'm going to do, but the people I respect and, and trust and, you know, to have them sell it. But one of them said, you know, you're going to have to really decide what to call it, you know, because if it doesn't fit into their... You know, 
this programming or that programming or but I think it's a movie I mean my my goal is that we make this into a movie and maybe not I don't think you know with what's going on people won't be going to theaters anymore anyway so something for it can be on pay-per-view or on Netflix as, as a movie and then do 10 episodes a year until I'm 112 you know I should you know I'm, I'm set for life if is it outside of the lounge list? But I'm glad. You, I mean, I think it's really. Excuse me. Oh uh, no, go ahead. No, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, I think. I mean, we. I sent it to the hardest people I could think of, and everybody's loved it so far. So that's been a pretty good sign. And um, yeah, I mean, also I was just shocked at like the painting because I can't see what it's like. It's too subjective for me. So the painting itself, everybody said I was mesmerized by it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so a, the, 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 it's just such a complex. Like you can't describe it, but it's to me, it's something. It's a, an experience that you feel and are just sort of pulled into. And because when you started, it's funny, and then you're painting, and it's 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 it's, it's soothing and and zen like, and then you go back to being uh, absurdist, and it's just it's to me it's. It's mind blowing, and it's. Um, I'm, I'm flaking on the person I want to compare it to. It's, but anyway, it's it's its own unique. Um, uh, somebody, so, I mean, I've gotten a lot of dis- I've got a lot of descriptions about like it's somebody somebody meets somebody, but somebody said it's um, it's Mister Rogers meets Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> you know, Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You know, which I thought was kind of perfect, you know. And somebody else said, you know, it's Bob Ross meets George Carlin. And then, I, I mean, who, who knows what it is? Um, yeah, that that was interesting because uh, has there ever been, other than Bob Ross, is has there been a painting show prior like I, I can't think of anything other than I bet there's been lots of painting shows I'm sure there's been lots of painting shows because like it's when you hear something like that that's the first thing you think of is Bob Ross and then which you completely disarm within the first 30 seconds of the or a minute of the of the episode that I saw there's a later section that you didn't see that um, there are no happy trees in my paintings. They're all miserable. All my trees are miserable. <laughs> Excuse me, that hit me hard. Um, it, it just seems like in a there's so many uh, venues these days for uh, these uh, unique kind of shows that I don't know it seems like it, it will land somewhere I, I'm sure I'll find a place for it it's just I just don't want to deal with much uh, you know the gatekeepers you know I just don't want to deal with it too much uh, you know yeah no I, t- I totally understand I mean I've, I've lived in Los Angeles for 18 years and uh, hey, I've uh, had moments where I thought I was going to jump through a window. So, <laughs> yeah, no, they they can make things really unpleasant. I, I mean, I don't know. Why. I guess it's just the power thing. I, I, I used to be shocked when I used to do music for movies about how little anybody seemed to care how good the music how good the movie was or how the music worked with the movie and the only thing they were concerned with was like who would return whose phone calls it was really I don't know unpleasant did you have a you know, they, they should really be indicted too with all the zillions of dollars that those people make the, the idea that I mean the idea that now everybody's stuck in their house and there's nothing to watch I mean that's 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 as bad as what Trump is doing you know they should be decent movies for people to watch right now uh, are there any films these days that you enjoy? I mean, it's I I'm a bit of a weirdo, so I I don't find many I like. Is is there anybody who filmmakers? I, I mean, nothing really nothing really pops nothing really pops into my head. I mean, what have I seen? I, I always flake on the filmmakers. I mean, I, I, the Joker, I was just like, okay, it was okay. It was just, it wasn't really much, you know? And then, and it was, it was, oh, I see. It's Taxi Driver meets uh, King of Comedy. I, it just, I, and then, 
Quentin's last movie, it was, I mean, they're just okay, but they're not great. And then, I can't think of anything. But I know there must have been something that I saw that was good, but I can't, it's not popping up at me. Uh, I can't think of his name. I always flake on his name, but the filmmaker who made Tangerine, I thought was, I think he does some pretty interesting I don't know who that is I don't know Tangerine it's it's he's it's pretty low budget independent film and it's about uh, uh, transgender prostitutes at Santa Monica and Highland and it's just about one about them getting out of prison and you know it's just it's a unique interesting characters that you just don't usually see people tackling um but that's besides the point. Where can I see it? It was on Netflix. He also did The Florida Project, which the trailers for that film... Oh, I thought that was genius. See, yeah, he did that, and he did Starlet, which is another... He picks these characters that are the rest of society shits on. Especially and then, there's a scene with the, with, with the you know, um, the woman and her little, her little girl. There's one scene towards the end. It just stops time. I mean, it was like... <gasps> It was just, there was a couple of scenes in there towards the end with the non-actors that were just mind-blowing. So I'll look for that. Yeah, I think you would really like it. I, I, the only person, I can kind of... I, I, yeah, the Florida Project, I really liked. I really liked it. Willem was good in that, too. Yeah, it's, they marketed it like more like it was going to be a cutesy kid movie, and that, so I avoided it until I learned it was that director whose name I always forget, because it's like Bob Baker. He's got like this very normal name, <laughs> so it doesn't pop in my head yeah, get a get a French name those stick in people's head um, when you when you were scoring films was that uh, how different was that from when you were composing jazz is there a completely different approach that you had to learn yeah it's completely different but it also depends on how big the movie is you know for the little movies it's a little more pleasant than the big movies and uh, you know a lot of it's just about the timing of things and how much they got it together and there would always be this thing where, you know, you're not supposed to start controlling, you know, like when the movie's, when the picture is locked, it means they're not going to edit anymore, and then you can start timing the music out. And then it would never be locked, and then you'd be in the studio rewriting the cue at the last minute because somebody had screwed up, or, oh, yeah, we didn't tell you about this, it, it, you know. It would make it really miserable, and you'd lose the feel. You can't just sort of, like, make it a little faster or a little slower or cut, you know, cut two beats out of the bar you got to really rewrite the whole thing so you know just like in this production line kind of thing and then and nobody really seems to care how good the movie is so you've got this thing where there's you know jackhammers outside the house it's like well can I get a tape of that to see what that's like so I can write the music inside it or around it and it's like oh well you don't need that it's not music it was like well I do need that and it was just all, it was just so unpleasant and I, I think it's probably what I could have been best at but I just couldn't stand it anymore is it just more like a job than a creative endeavor well no I mean you have to treat it if it was just a job, it would be great, but even if you try to not care about the music, you always end up caring about the music, so then you wouldn't want them to wreck it, you know? You want to protect it, and, uh, you know, you've got this thing that's got, a, like, a groove to it, and then some music editor decides to cut two beats out, and it's, or a, a, a half a beat. Oh, it's fine, you know? It's, like, it's not fine. You just ruined the feel of the whole thing, you know? There was, there was a Jimi Hendrix thing on a TV commercial about two years ago where somebody had, had chopped the music up. I think it was all along the Watchtower, maybe. It was just like, it made me insane. It's like, how could you do that? You know? They don't, uh, they don't I mean, they blatantly don't care if they're, it, it just seems wrong that Jimi Hendrix would be in a commercial anyway. Commercials ruin the beach. Yeah, I mean, who saw it? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I only knew the Beach Boys as the guys in the Sunkissed commercials and a couple other things, and I never. It made me not want to listen to them until I got older, and I was like, oh, yeah. I should probably listen to these guys. No, I was, I was, I was unfairly prejudiced against the Beach Boys for a long time, and then, and then some of, some of the Brian Wilson stuff. It's like, oh my God, listen to the chords on that. Oh, you know, like especially the stuff where he was on his own doing that stuff, you know. But, um, but I really was prejudiced against them for a long time. And somebody in the band was 
just sort of playing songs on the bus on the guitar. I was just like, what is that? Anyway, you know, with the, God only knows where I'd be without you or something like that. It's just like the chords are like, whoa, you know, it was shocking. Yeah, it's a... Uh... I, I, yeah, it's, I, I don't think I could have comprehended how complex he was as a kid. I probably still can't because I'm not as musically literate as, as you are. Was it, when you, because you grew up in New Orleans, so I'm guessing that's where you learned about jazz? Or you, No, I mean, we left there when I was like eight. Oh, really? Uh, no, then we moved to Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah, we, we lived, I was born in, in Minneapolis, and then we're from seven to maybe nine that we lived in New Orleans. But uh, we weren't really exposed to music there except for what my parents were you know they had some Miles Davis records and uh, they had pretty good musical tastes I mean you know a little bit of everything you know I'm sure they had like probably two Mozart records two Miles Davis records and you know I don't know what they had but <laughs> you know uh, my mom had Anne Murray, so I'm, I'm envious. But uh, your parents seemed, I don't know, your parents seemed pretty, from what I heard you talking about on some stuff I watched, like, were pretty hip, like you were saying how they, or it was in your show, how they... Yeah, no, they really were, I, I you know, you don't kind of know because it's your own parents, so you don't know what else there is, but they, I think they actually were remarkable, and, and, and all three of us are certainly different because of them and they um I mean my father had been reading James Baldwin when I was twelve, you know. Uh so what and yeah, they were they were different. Yeah. yeah. Sorry? Oh, I was just gonna ask what your father did for a living. Well, he was um what he ended up doing was selling Israeli bonds, but that was hard. I mean, it was the only only job he could get because um, he had been he you know he went to NYU and he was supposed to be the next James Joyce. He wrote the literary magazine under pseudonyms and you know, but instead of doing that, he went to the south and organized uh, started unions for the farm workers and stuff. Which you know, while he was alive, I didn't really see the bravery of that or the sacrifice. But it must have been tough and kind of you know very altruistic of him to do that. And then he couldn't, you know, and then he got branded a communist and couldn't get work. You know. Damn. I just when you were talking about your parents, because as a parent, I, I was. I was like, I want to do what they did. <laughs> so that's why I'm asking about because I was like, I want to keep that creative spark alive in my child because I think you you talk about it like when kids are four and five and they paint like I see the stuff my daughter does and it's pretty remarkable sometimes and no and they're never bad these four or five year olds they come home and they like and they're never bad they're always good the kids the stuff the kids are doing it's always good and then it goes away, and somehow I think my mother must have done it. She taught art school where the Beatles went, I'm not at the same time, but I'm, but and she was an artist, and I, somehow she instilled in all three of us like that childlike thing to not be afraid of that and to hold on to it. And do you attribute that to your? Because you've had an endlessly creative career, it it doesn't seem to have. Have ever ever stopped? Really, it's like pretty remarkable. Well, that's like saying you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you can run out of ideas, I suppose. But I mean, it's like saying I'm going to run out of sentences to say. It's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're not worried you're going to run out of words. You, you know, it's it's just kind of keeping the the door open to it. You know. I was curious about... And also, I mean, with this one, I'm really... With this painting, which I'm really trying to take what I'm given rather than to force it to be anything or it's like, oh, I had this idea and I want it to be like this and then, yeah, you know... I mean, with painting, with painting, you know, it's like I have this idea and then I try to... But then it's like the ones I just let happen, it's always better, you know? You just take what you're given, and that's what I'm trying to do with this, but then I don't know what I'm making. You know, we're going to see if it's a movie, and Eric keeps... I always wanted to call him the kid, but he's just not a kid, but I just sort of call him the kid, which I see as a compliment, but maybe it might be seen as dismissive. But, and, you know, he's right there. He's, he's editing 
the Rudolph story, and he's going to send me, actually he sent it to me right as I was calling you, so it's like an hour-long thing he's going to send of us going to look for this guy Rudolph, and then we'll cut it down to three minutes, we'll pick the best bits, and I'll say, okay, this can say this, and then try to figure out what it is, you know, if it's all me doing a voiceover over the top or just letting it play. But we go up into the hills and we see a monkey and and then and then we find Rudolph who actually who had lived with me for a while and then moved up into the mountains to make a, he built a hut and just moved, lives in the mountains now. When you sit down to do a painting, do you? Uh, how much of an idea do you have? Is it just? Do you sit down to a blank canvas? I, I, I mean, I see, I sit down to a blank canvas and I decide on four colors I want to. You know, maybe I do a background first, or maybe you know, I just have four colors that I want to mess around with and then see what I got. You know, it, I don't really figure out what it is, so it's about halfway through. Halfway through, first half they're really just abstract paintings. And then a lot of people in the art world have said, well, you should make these abstract paintings. They'll do much better financially. But I feel like that's cheating. If there's not, a, if I haven't created a world in the painting, you know, then I, I haven't done it. Uh, um, yeah. It's, it's disappointing, like on social media, you post stuff and it's like, if it's got a funny title, it gets a hundred times more attention than if it's a great painting, which is always a little disappointing. Did you approach a, c a composition of music the same way? With Would you just, would it be, because it always fascinates me, especially with jazz, what sparks that idea? Is it a, f a feeling, a thought, an emotion? Or I guess that's redundant, but... <laughs> on, let's see. I mean, you know, with music, you're always just sitting around fucking around. You play sitting on the couch playing the guitar, and or, you know, you practice the saxophone for a couple hours a day, and then as you're doing it, something floats through. And it almost always, all the best stuff, it doesn't even feel like it was yours. You know, I don't want to get all hokey about it, but it really always feels like the best, best stuff, it always feels like a gift. You have to just be open for it, and your technique has to be good enough to capture it. And then you build a little fortress around it to not ruin it, you know? So if you just had, like, two bars of this little thing, and then then that was the gift, and then you got to build a house around it, you know? Yeah. You sort of follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I with painting, with painting, it's the same. With painting, is the same thing. But that that little gift comes tends to come later, where you just start a background and then you add some little black specks over in the corner, and then a red speck underneath it, and then just what is that? And then, you know, and then it just sort of slowly falls into place. Do you just let? But the thoughts stay out of your head because I mean I know sometimes when you, uh, I create but what stay out of your head thoughts the thoughts what, what, what? Well, because like sometimes you... I mean, I get hypnotized by it. I mean, I get hypnotized by it, and I just sort of disappear. I didn't think I was going to be able to actually let somebody film me doing it and get into that same state. And actually, when we first started, the paintings weren't as good as they'd been because I couldn't kind of just sort of forget that I was on camera. And also, you know, like let's say he's filming the details on the painting, and you know, okay, if I put a, put down this dark brown background and I add a spot of watercolor with yellow with a lot of water will expand in a nice way for the camera but it might not have been the best thing for the painting so you start you start playing for the camera you know and then you know, I had to kind of pull that back the other thing that's really weird is talking into a camera is just it's terrible it's just it just is the worst thing in the world to do it's like you're sitting there talking to a camera and if I'd already told the camera guy Eric if I'd already told him the stories before so I was repeating them then it really felt bad so it's just like you feel like such a phony like just sort of sitting there talking to the camera in this friendly way and then you kind of realize that everybody you see on the TV who can do that is a sociopath <laughs> because it's not a normal thing to do but then if I hadn't told if I hadn't told him the story before then he would laugh while I was telling him and the camera would be shaking so we had to kind of get around all that <laughs> Did you decide on the stories, or is it a lot of it sp spontaneous? Because there's these little, 
Well, it's a Barry White story. There's the Chicken Man story. There's what you got, Bob Ross. You got the Bob Ross one. Bob Ross was wrong. And yeah, and that's probably Evan Mighty Mouse. And then doing cocaine in a closet. There, with, uh, there was about twenty. There was about twenty stories I had, and, and and you know some of them I wrote out, and some of them I just you know sketched out, and then. Probably in the end there'll be only eight of them. I'll probably have to. It'll be too long. It'll be too much storytelling. I mean, I don't, it's a weird thing, you know. It's like you watch George Carlin or Dave Chappelle, and you kind of like wonder. It's like, why did I keep watching? Because somebody just talking to the camera, you know, like on a comedy thing. It's like, what, what holds people's attention? It's like. It, it was interesting like that. And we also, you know, so there's a bunch of dopey things where we roll tires down a hill or um, or that thing I posted, the uh, the garden gnome with the dancing, or there's another thing where we find this branch from a papaya tree that really looks like an elephant trunk. So I walk around pretending to be elephants singing a lot. And then, but then there's the painting and there's some more serious stories and then trying to figure out how much, how much silliness and how much seriousness should happen and you kind of want to break it up but you don't want to go back and forth back and forth and then you also got night and day most of the paintings done at night but then you don't want it to be all night and then there's those tree frogs that are deafening um, at night so so they're really loud you know so you don't want them going through the whole show I mean and and also sonically those tree frogs are so loud that like if you call somebody on the phone they go like what is that a siren I mean they really pick up they have a certain certain sonic range that it's kind of screeching but it's nice when you're there but it's nice when you're there but recorded it's a bit much so we got to kind of figure out so we want to figure out what should be in the day and what should be at night you know and what should be silly and the world just needs something silly now too so yeah I'm also I'm also in this weird position of you know if you want the paintings to sell the art world has to take it very very seriously so you have to come off like you know self-important douchebag in order for the art world to kind of get behind it and but the world needs to be cheered up right now so we put more and more silly stuff in there which I know is going to make the art world go whoa I mean it was the same thing with the lounges you know I would get up there and tell jokes and then the serious music critic would go like well he just thinks he looks good with a saxophone but this can't be serious music because he was in those movies and now he's telling jokes you know but like you know I bet Jesus was the funniest guy ever and then nobody put it down because because the apostles didn't want to seem disrespectful talking about how funny he was <laughs> <laughs> I a part of uh, there, I, but don't you imagine that I mean don't you imagine that you know probably not Van Gogh but I bet I'm um, Shakespeare I'm sure was funny as hell he was probably the funniest person on the planet at the time but um no, Beethoven probably didn't have much of a sense of humor but I bet Bach did I bet Bach had a great sense of humor yeah I mean Jesus would uh, it's no, it, they always portray him as being like really serious I'm like no one's gonna want to follow that guy you'd have to be like charming and that's how people why people follow other people I, I want I mean Gurdjieff has that whole thing where you're not supposed to laugh because it's a waste of it's a waste of energy yeah it's a you know laughing is a but you know Gurdjieff it's funny um, I've just we, we're, I mean you might want to look at this we're going to start putting like in you know all the all those jungle shots right and so we're going to sort of start putting like Rasputin and Gurdjieff and Romano Maharshi but so you can't even see it they just go by and you're not sure if you saw it or not we're going to start hiding them all <laughs> in the show <laughs> uh, you, there's two things you brought up that I've wanted to ask about um, so it's gonna have to split, I guess. It's but because I want to ask about the stories that you tell, but also you mentioned the art world, and I feel like you've uh, tweeted about this and messaged me with about uh, a little bit about about the art world and how. Uh, what I find baffling is you say sometimes you can't get gallery showings and I'm like 
to me. We haven't been offered a show in forever and forever. I mean, basically since the New Yorker article, really, that was what was the demarcation. I was getting offered like six or eight shows in museums and top galleries around the world. And then since that New Yorker article, it was just like everything changed, you know, got offered nothing basically after that. I mean, very little. Um, we did another show in Tokyo, with a, with a, but since then it's been really, but the art world, I don't know this, so who knows what they're thinking. I, just, I guess they have such good stuff to show that they just don't have time for my stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's not crazy to say that you're you're a legendary figure. So to me, I'm like, who the fuck wouldn't want to show this guy? Like, it seems like a, a no-brainer. But I don't know shit about the art world. But I'm just like, what is the disconnect here? I, I, I don't know, really. I mean, it's kind of not up to me to say, but it's I think it's really wrong. I mean, we were supposed to have this show, the last one, it was uh, at, um, at the New Orleans Modern Museum, and uh, then they just canceled it. It was all set. I mean, it was all, you know, I turned, you know, I mean, I had saved all the paintings that were gonna go to Italy, and then they just canceled it, and they never really told me why. So maybe there's just some bad gossip out there or something. But, but I, I really don't know what it is. I mean, you would think that they would be so desperate to get something good. But uh, just, but then you look at what's what's happening. So I don't make plastic dogs, so I guess I'm out of the loop here, you know. Is it I, I when I called you a legend? Is that how does that sound to you? Is that a weird thing to hear, or do you are you kind of aware of your sort of? Status? I don't know. When I got on Twitter and and there would be like somebody who was whose work I liked, and I would follow them, and then they would write back. You know, somebody who's mildly famous. You know, like and I want, but they were like, "Oh my God, John Lurie, you're a legend." It was like really. Because in a way, I mean, nobody knows any, has any idea who I am, you know, in a certain way. No, seriously. I mean, so it's like, but then all the famous people would go, oh, my God, you're a legend. So it's like, well, what stories did you hear? Because, you know, you don't, it's, it's kind of odd. But, I mean. But I can't be that much of a legend if I can't get an art show. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you're a man who for decades has consistently created unique original or I guess that's redundant but like great work and that's I don't know that's that's a feat that's almost impossible I mean and in multi-genres it's like they're what they you know that's a real renaissance man as they say I mean it, it doesn't happen I <laughs> I guess. I mean, I had no choice because, you know, I got sick and I couldn't play music anymore and I was just stuck at home and I was just painting sort of for myself for the longest time and then they got better and better and then there was a kind of a eureka moment where it's like, this really could be what music was at one point. I mean, I would have been sacrilegious for the first two years or something for me to hope for that. But it did sort of fall into place and then, you know, start working like 10, 12 hours a day and it just sort of started to unfold, you know. What what I was curious about is because you're telling in the show, you tell a lot of your stories of your life, and I'm because I'm curious about because you're writing a book, and I was like, what? How many? A how many stories does this guy have? It must be <laughs> endless. But like, well, I'm trying to divide. There's yeah. one over. There's one story that's in both, and. Uh, but really, pretty much, I mean, I tried to keep them separate, you know. And when, when the guy, I like my guy from Random House, Ben uh, Greenberg. We're mowing through this. We're like three quarters of the way through in three weeks. But, um, um, you know, I sent him some of the clips like I did to you. And he's like, oh, I want that, sh that story for the book. <laughs> but mostly I was more generous to the book than to the show, you know. Cause, because the book is basically the 80s, you know, which is what they wanted. And then the show kind of covers more like my childhood and now, you know. So 
I said, uh, t- I, know, so I, I have to, I have to get the, the painting with John out before the book because I'm a much nicer person in painting with John than in the book, <laughs> you know. So I have to get that out so people will like me because if they just get the book, they'll be like, he said, what about who? You know, like so I have to be careful. <laughs> and it's is it the overall art scene in the '80s or uh, it's a? I mean, you were. Is it just still that? You know, it's just kind of everything. I mean, you know, it's drugs and sex and music and the people I met and stories, you know? Yeah. Was that? But like in a linear, chronological linear way. Was the art scene and the music scene as exciting as people, because now it's like revered. Was Did you know that there was something happening, that it was magical, or is it just like you're just going about your goddamn life? Um, well, that always happens anyways. It's like 20 years after any time, they all go like, oh my God, Ginsburg and, and William Burroughs. You know, it's like, can you imagine being in the room then? You know, or, you know, I, I think they always do it, you know, but, um, and it was an amazing time like New York City where it's like all the weirdos came here, all the talented artistic people, but in a way it was, the amount of promise that was there considering the work that came out of it was kind of a disappointment, really, when you consider what what was what, what could have possibly happened and didn't. There wasn't enough discipline, you know. People were having a little too much fun, and then all of a sudden, you know, there was like, you know, people started dying, you know. People would be ODing or dying of AIDS, and, and so it kind of went from, like, so much fun to, to some kind of something kind of grim, but people weren't discipline, you know, with their work, you know. People didn't spend 10 hours a day, you know, practicing or, or, or painting. You know, they spent a couple hours and then they went out, you know. Did you spend 10 hours practicing? Were you very dedicated? In I used to have to hide, you know, because I was making these little movies then. I used to have to hide that I played the saxophone and wanted to practice for two hours a day because it was like, it was so sneered at that anybody who actually practiced an instrument was like, why would you do that? That's disgusting. <laughs> Because every every band, every band, you know, in the early 80s, every band, you know, in downtown New York was like, you know, painters who, who, uh, who you know, started bands and couldn't really play, you know? Yeah. Did you did you move to New York to for specifically for music or because I mean because you also made films it's like I, it's hard to figure out what the trajectory was. No, I mean it just sort of happened. I, it just sort of happened. I mean I was living in in Boston and then I came here to visit. I was sort of going out with this girl and then I went to this concert and the guy I went to see. Um, was it, I think Sam Rivers was supposed to play and he canceled and there was somebody bad playing instead and so I left it was sitting next to this guy who had a place in Brooklyn where he was the uh, basically the janitor he had this little place in the, in the basement and he said look if you want this job you can have this apartment and so I, I moved to, to New York on that it was just it wasn't really a plan it was just sort of bumping around and that happened you know uh, how was I can't imagine I wouldn't have ended up in New York, in, you know, some way or another. Right. How? Because uh, I've, I think we messaged her. I can't remember if you tweeted it, but that the book was a, a pretty like one of the hardest things you've ever done creatively. Uh, is that? Oh, I, I just you know, I mean, just writing the thing the first time is kind of fun, but then going back and fixing it and then moving this paragraph into another chapter and so oh god, then you got it's just it's kind of. You have to use your mind in a way that's sort of exhausting, and uh, uh, yeah. so that wasn't as much fun. Um, Plus, like writing, writing is really like exercising. You know, when you stop exercising, you really don't want to start again. And then once you do it, like you do it for a week, and then your body says, "Oh, it might be fun to exercise," and so you want to exercise. But up, up, you know, when you stop, it's just, "Oh God, I don't want to start doing that again." And then you start 
talk and you like it, and then it goes good. Uh, is there any uh, release dates on the on the fil- uh, fuck? Sorry, I just was going to say film on the movie a book. <laughs> I think I just had a mini stroke. <laughs> I mean, I was I would guess I guess probably a year from now. Uh, and you're excited about that? I mean, that was the dumbest question ever. Are you excited about that thing you labored over? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little scary, you know. I feel I feel vulnerable about it, you know. It's a little scary, but. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, basically, yeah. I think basically, I mean, I really, really want Painting with John to come out first. I'm more excited about that, to tell you the truth. But I think the book is really good. It seems like it's going to be fascinating. And I mean, you said you're like worried people think you're mean or whatever, but I. Well, I mean, I'm just really honest about myself and about other people, and I call some people out, you know, like, and. Uh, I mean, I don't go out of my way to be mean, but I say what happened, and then if you, if there's some story that's become famous that is not true, and you know it's not true, then I would I will say that, you know. Yeah, uh, there's I, a lot of stuff that happened. There's a lot of stuff that happened around Jean Michel that was just like people sort of glomming onto him for their own reputations. So it was it got kind of disgusting and and weird. So I, I you know I go into that a little bit, but. Yeah, because you talk you talk about fame in in that episode of that you sent me to, and it's I don't because it, like, you you at one point you say you're happy you're not really f- as famous anymore, and I did you enjoy fame or was it just kind of a fucking pain in the ass? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, you you think you want to be famous, and then and then you get a little famous, and then you think. Well, I need more of this. It's really kind of a drug kind of thing, and then it's like you you walk through the airport and three people didn't recognize you, and you think, well, I have to get it so everybody recognizes me, and then it's like, why? You know, you don't even stop to think. It's like, why? It's making your life worse, not better. But you know, when you got when the fame thing is rolling, then you know your lawyer calls you back right away, your doctor calls you back right away. You know, it's like it's different how people treat you. You know. But um, you just also all this stuff that gets attached to you, and and it can be, you know. And I don't want to insulate myself from the world too. And then most famous people have to like insulate themselves to protect themselves because it's exhausting. <clears throat> people think they own a part of you. That doesn't seem remotely appealing. <laughs> I used to think I wanted to be famous, and then I saw some friends get famous, and I was like, "This looks fucking terrible." <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I'm in a nice position with that because it's like I had it, and I know that's not. But then you want the work, you know, you want to make a living, you want respect for the work, but you don't. Know, the fame thing is like, really, you know, that that's all the wrong reason. Um, well, I, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out to do this. Um, is there, just in case somebody doesn't know where to find you, your your work and whatnot, would you like to share websites or social media where people could find? Oh, I'm dot com is where you can see the paintings. John, L-U-R-I-E, art. And, com. and and eventually we're going to get Tom Steyer to buy two of those f- fucking paintings for me. <laughs> oh, that was you doing that. But yeah. You didn't get one. No, I kept I kept trying. Maybe now that he's got a little bit more time. We can. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to hassling him. We sold a whole bunch of prints this week, which was kind of a shock. I thought nobody would be buying anything because of the economy, but we sold a lot of prints this week, which really shocked me. Oh, that's great. Um. I wonder what's going to happen with money. It's going to be very weird. Uh, I yeah. mean, once once this is over, you know, it's like, how does it get back on track? You know? Yeah, I'm currently doing freelance work, and I keep wondering if, like, I'm like, well, if the guy that I'm working for doesn't keep getting work, then I'm going to lose work. <laughs> it's like, I'm helping him. Yeah, to- you got kids too, right? Yeah, I got another one coming on the... May 2nd. Oh, yeah, you told me that, yeah. I mean, it's just scary, you know. I, I mean... 
Yeah, I think I, I keep thinking like so so I keep thinking so much bad shit has happened that something wonderful is gonna happen now. Almost like mathematically it has to be like that now. Something wonderful has to happen. Yeah. I've been oddly present and optimistic, which is not it's something I've learned recently, but I, I feel like I was reminding myself before we started recording, I was like, you know, people had kids during World War Two and World War One and the Great Depression and people seemed to get through and you know, I mean, the worst fucking nightmare for me would be is we have to move to the suburbs of Chicago in the basement of one of our parents and then probably go on a murder spree because they're both evangelical Christians. <laughs> I, I don't understand the evangelical kids. I don't understand them. I, I mean... I, I, I don't either. I mean, I, the, my father-in-law believes that the world is 5,000 years old, and I'm like, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. <laughs> it's like, that should revoke any right to vote, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I've been to places in Africa and, 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 and you know, islands in the Caribbean where the only kind of moral, decent people are the church-going folk, you know? So you can't just go like, well, the church is all fucked up because sometimes it really does put, you know, something decent into the society. Sure. And, uh, but... I don't understand. I just don't understand them. It's just like that can't. That's not Jesus's message. What you're doing here, it's just completely off base. I don't understand. Yeah, I have a friend who's Christian, born again Christian, or whatever. And but he's like, if he's like, if you're a Christian and not liberal, that's wrong. He's like, it, it's it's a liberal message, and you should be a liberal and vote liberally, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, that's how that makes sense, and that's a, I think. That's how Jesus would want it. Like I don't think he would be. Um, it certainly seems to have been Jesus's message was, you know, love everybody, you know, and I, I don't know. And then and now it seems like it's a message of hate. It's, I don't quite understand how it got there. Yeah, it's it's baffling. I, if Jesus is real, uh, then if he comes back, those 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 people are going to be in some real deep shit. <laughs> well, he, he definitely was real. He was definitely a real person, and he must have been, if nothing else, remarkably charismatic. I mean, he's more famous now than pretty much anybody you can think of, and he's never even had a publicist, so he has to have something going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. Um and everything you ever actually read that the, theoretically Jesus said is, uh, I can't, I have no fault with any of it. Yeah, there's a whole book called uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, and it's, it breaks down what it, the character of what Jesus, what, what he said, and then all the bullshit that's surrounding it. And it's like, you know, there's like the uh, apostles would start saying, well, he did this and that and this. And they're like, that goes against the character of what he spoke. So obviously, like, you know, people started fucking with it, right? His message right away. I mean, who knows? I mean, the apostles, they could have, I don't know. Maybe they were all Mike Pence, you know? <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for taking the time out to do it. You know, I wanted to do this for you. I mean, I, I, yeah, you always seem like a nice guy on Twitter. And, um, yeah, and it wasn't painful. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please remember to rate and review the show, thematdwyer.com, patreon.com slash mattdwyer. Help support the show, tell your friends about it, and support podcasting in general. It's a great form. And I would like to say in the words of one of my favorite guests... Uh-oh, you're not answering? What do I do now? <laughs>